0: Welcome to the Clyde Podcast. I'm so glad that you hopped on this week. If you come on every week or you're a subscriber to this podcast, you know that I get to sit down and interview people that are experiencing God running into their lives in the messy places, the hard places, the beautiful places, and He's doing amazing things through them. And this week I got to sit down with my friend Gabe, and I admire Gabe so much, as you'll hear he's Absolutely stunning in the way that he serves the people around him. He's lived a crazy life experiencing so many different things. He's a husband, he's a father, he's a storyteller, a business owner, a friend, an artist, a poet. He calls himself a nerd, he calls himself weird, he's a lover of Jesus. He says he's epicuriously deviant, he's a rogue scholar, he's into cyber shenanigans, and he's a Storyteller on and on and on. There's so many things to say about Gabe, but you will hear in this conversation that I have with him how he got such a heart of service, how God radically got a hold of his life. He shares his story of abuse and the way that the Lord met him in that pain and in that shame and freed him up. And now he's being used in the world to help other people. I love that I could sit across from a man who's so vulnerable, has so much to share, and who isn't serving people and doing ministry from a place of being put together, but from a place of having a real live collision with Jesus and experience with God, where God radically changed him so much so that he can't help but help others. Gabe gets vulnerable in this interview, he gets emotional in this interview, and I have a feeling it will meet you where you're at in a special way, and God will use it to encourage you. So take a listen. Well, Gabe, this is so fun to have you on the podcast. You are a huge part of this podcast, and you make it happen every single week on sort of the back end, the technical production end. And I've had the great privilege to serve and do ministry with you uh, for the last few years. And before I worked with you in this capacity on the podcast, I was so blown away by my experience working with you and the way that you serve the people you're working with the way that you have this light about you your attitude towards other humans the way that you are just you don't make it about yourself you're so humble when you serve i i thought oh man this is going to be so fun to have this conversation because there's something about you that's just so unique and most people aren't like you in this way, this humble service, uh, just the way that you give to other people. It's so unique and I'm having a hard time even putting into words. So I'm just going to start peppering you with questions, (laughs) but I'm so glad you're on here. And I want to start by kind of talking to you about what shaped your attitude about service that you serve in such a humble, helpful, kind, loving way.
1: Well, Will, first, thanks for having me. Um, I'm so excited to get to be here. I would say that so much of my servant's heart or this attitude of serving and pouring out and giving comes from knowing my identity in Christ. I think that as I look back, the big pivotal foundational thing for me was finding so much truth in who Jesus is to me and what he's done in my life, that Mm -hmm. finding that love and finding that compassion and finding in the midst of that a heart of empathy for other people that I couldn't do anything but serve. Hmm. All I could do was to give and to try to convey this love that I saw because it was radical for me. It changed everything.
0: It's interesting when you talk about this because I think if people who are listening could hear or see you in action and see what I see— you are so humble, you're working overtime, you're pouring yourself out, but you're the guy in the background that doesn't get the credit, doesn't get the props, and yet I see you in these one-on-one conversations and you're caring for the people you're serving alongside, you're checking in with them, you're doing whatever you can to make their job easier, and you've done that for me and so many people on our Collide team. I think it's, it's interesting that you sort of connect the dots back to your identity in Christ. Because a lot of people, when they see Christian leaders, they see Christian leaders on platforms getting the accolades and the likes and all of the attention. And some people have even been hurt by Christian leaders and would say, when I see a Christian leader, I see somebody who makes it all about them or who manipulates or who tries to have all the power. And you're looking at Jesus and you're not displaying your active service in any of those ways. You really have this attitude of, I'm here to serve. Why do you think you're able to see, are you looking at a different Jesus than other leaders who sort of display this power, big platform, it's all about me thing? Or what's the difference?
1: Uh you know I don't I don't know if I can speak exactly to their experience with Jesus but what I can tell you what I've come to know is somebody who loved me for me because like to be frank I've always been weird. I've always been the weird kid in the back of the class <laughs> or I've always been you know the one with funny colored hair or or the clothes that didn't fit in with whatever was going on and you know I used to knock myself for that because you know in my own family story you know we didn't have a lot we didn't come from wealth or affluence. And, and, you know, I got hand me down clothes. And uh, the way that that played out for me was I spent a lot of my time in my early years, just stuck in this perception that I wasn't good enough stuck in this Hmm. idea that, you know, wherever I went, I wouldn't be accepted. And I think that what I found in Jesus was complete and total acceptance in who I was, because that's who He created. Hmm. And I think that when I had that paradigm shift, I realized that he loved me, like me, the person he created. and And it wasn't about the concept of who everyone else thought I was. And that was something that I used to be paralyzed by whether it was in social settings or in stepping out in anything in life, I was like racked by anxiety. And, you know, Jesus changed all of it. And I'm reminded about the Moravians in Herrenhut, Germany. They were fleeing persecution in Czech Republic. Like, not Czech Republic, but at the time it was Czechoslovakia. They found some solitude and rest in, in Germany with Count Zinzendorf. And they started this prayer meeting. And it started praying like around the clock. Twenty-four hours a day for a hundred years, and as they like went into this heart of prayer, went into the seat of prayer, they actually like stopped praying for their own protection, and they started like turning out, and they realized that as they found themselves in the presence of God, their hearts changed, and yeah. the more time they spent with God, the more that they sought His heart, the more that they saw what He saw, which was this this desire to love and embrace everybody, and they had this saying. You know, worthy is the lamb that was slain, that He would receive the reward for His suffering. And and the first time I heard that, it just absolutely broke me. And and I, I I can't tell you the story today, without you know the emotions welling up and and thinking that, um, you know this this God, this this Savior, this this Jesus who, uh, loved us so much that He gave everything. It I mean it was it was paramount. It changed, it changed all that I was.
0: Hmm. It's so interesting mm-hmm. you tell that story and there was a phrase you said where the more they spent time in his presence they stopped praying for their own protection and started to turn out. Yeah. And you talk about how the way within which you serve comes from this empathy you have. Mm-hmm. You you can turn out towards people and you can empathize and love them because you have been so loved by Jesus. Can right. you invite us back. I know you have shared that you have a story of abuse, and I'm wondering if that played a role into how you stumbled upon and needed Jesus' love so much and His healing, and how has that shaped how you empathize with the people that you serve who are hurting and struggling.
1: Yeah. So what I found was I was navigating without knowing it abuse as a child. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know that it was abuse at the time. And I just knew that, you know, I had this weight that I walked with everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and as I got older, it became pretty evident to me that I was so different from everybody else. And in part of that difference, you know, I I was ashamed because I, I think at some level, I realized that, uh, or, or I had this fear that if people found out about my secret, about this thing, um, that they wouldn't like me, that I would be rejected and that, uh, you know, I, I would lose value in their mind and in their eyes. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so I walked with anxiety and fear everywhere. I went just absolutely paralyzed. My, I couldn't, I couldn't make a phone call. I couldn't talk to people in public. Um, I had a, a handful of close friends that were, I can only think divinely appointed in my life that kept me grounded and would speak truth into my life. And, you know, I know that I know now that like that was the hand of God in in the midst of my situation. And I I think that as I stepped through that process and unpacked it and leaned into that, I, I realized that there's, there's power in the story of our origin. There's power in the things that might rob us of joy. There's power in the things that might have caused fear or anxiety because we can actually steal the power of the shame from that when we can tell that story, when we can embrace uh. that story. It loses that hold over us when we get to engage in that in community. And then you see come full circle that, um, no, it's not true. It's all a lie. And that people will love you for you, despite your story. And I think that... That's the kind of Christianity that saved my life, is Hmm. finding real community and finding people that embraced who I was, even though I was scared of it.
0: Hmm. I love that you're saying that we can steal the power of shame by telling our story. And yet, just a few minutes prior to saying that, you describe yourself as walking around with a heavy weight. And you didn't feel like you could tell anyone because you are so ashamed how they would view you if you told them. And that's kind of the double bind of experiencing abuse, experiencing something terrible that happens to us. And then we don't feel like we can invite anyone into that story. So we're living with this terrible thing that happened all alone. And so it festers and it gets more sick and it keeps bleeding and it hemorrhages because there isn't community or God or anyone that we're letting in to help us. And I'm curious why you think that we think when someone harms us, someone wounds us, someone abuses us. Why do we go to that internal place that somehow we should be ashamed? What I, do you I think is going on there?
1: I think what happens is uh, this: we have this internal narrative, right? Or at least in my own case, you know, I would play through these these experiences and assume that I did something or something that I was merited the experience that I had. Mm -hmm. I didn't think of it I was a victim or that this is something that happened to me. And in fact, moving past my abuse was realizing that I might have been victimized, but that didn't have to be my identity. I didn't have Mm -hmm. to be a victim for the rest of time, for the rest of my life. I could like draw a line in the sand and say, oh, there's life on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. And realizing that I didn't have to live with this victim mentality for the rest of my life was also paramount. But that came out of finding this new life, this new heart in Jesus where, you know, I, I feel like there was this like line in the sand where I had this ministry experience, you know, where in the receipt of ministry at this conference and, and God just started like pouring into my life and just completely broke me in his presence and i've said that i died that day my my shame and my and my and my sorrow and all of these things that were wrapped up in that victimized mentality died Hmm. when when jesus wrote rewrote my story um and out of that i see the power it can have in someone's life
0: Mm.
1: so how could i not
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I'm listening to you talk. It's, it's reminding me of a conversation I had with a woman recently who, uh, you know, is came into the Collide ministry and is in a place where she desperately needs help. And as a child, she experienced being abused by some family members. And when she came out with it, uh, To her parents, the sort of message that was sent was that she wasn't abused and that she's being dramatic and that this will hurt their family. And if anything did happen, it was her fault for it happening. And now, fast forward, right? Decades later, she's in a marriage where she's being abused and she's telling herself that it must somehow be her fault that she's treated like this every single day. And I'm sitting in this office with her. And I'm thinking, wow, this powerful message that somehow you were hurt and you were abused and you were made to believe it's your fault. And you're still living in that. And you have to flip the script. And you're yeah. talking about how you had a collision with Jesus, a in with Jesus, where he came into your life and he flipped the script for you. Right. So that you would no longer live out of a place of shame, but a Mm -hmm. place of acceptance and a place of worthiness. And it's such a powerful story. I also find it really powerful, Gabe, because a lot of men don't talk about these kinds of things. For some reason, it almost feels more shaming for a man to be open about it than a woman. Have you been able to find safe places for you to share your story and have other people help you flip the script?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, part of what's made the progress for me in processing that is, is having close relationships with with males and females um, that have helped me navigate that. And that was an interesting line for me to try to figure out and navigate because as a as a male, um, societally speaking, yes, most people don't expect guys to be touchy-feely or understand their emotions or even talk about their feelings. And I think that that's wrong. I think that you know I, ever since I was a kid, I heard the phrase thrown around that real men don't cry. Well, I have newsflash for you. they do
0: because everyone <laughs> news flash, everyone
1: everyone has feelings, and uh-huh. uh you know and, and i I've, I've found myself in places where i get to I get to mentor guys through various ministries or experiences and and one of the fundamental truths that you know I tell them is like you are a human being. God created you this way. You have feelings uh, and you have to embrace those because they're actually you telling you what's going on. And if you just bottle it up or you don't talk about it, then you have things that are unprocessed that will find their way out at some point, whether that's through sorrow or shame or feeling like, you know, you you build these false narratives and you're in the midst of feeling neglected or or whatever the case is, but you feel like you can't talk about it. You know, and so one of these one of these talking points I have for these people when I'm doing these mentoring things is is saying you like, you know, feel your feelings but use your words to tell other people about your feelings, right? And mm. and that seems simple in my mind, but but it's not. You know, how often do we do we get into encounters Uh, with anybody and, and have these strong feelings. And if we don't have the language to discuss what those are, you know, without being able to say something like, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel fill in the blank. And, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, otherwise people don't know. You can't, you can't assume that everybody is empathic, that everybody is going to immediately know by the look on your face or your body language, what your feelings are. And, and I think that guys, that goes for guys and girls, but, but I'll admit that a lot of guys, because they haven't embraced their feelings, can't read the signs of what people's feelings on the outside are telling them, you know? And so, mm-hmm. so all the more they, they maybe need to take that step and go, well, tell me about your feelings. Tell me about mm-hmm. what your experience is. I want to hear.
0: It's such a, simple thing that you can do for someone else Uh to sort of draw out the deep in someone else is to begin to ask questions of someone where they begin to realize their own story. Right. Where they begin to tap into their own feelings. I know I had that experience when I was, you know, around 20 years old and a woman that I rented from invited me into her house and served me coffee and snacks and just begin to over like this ministry of hospitality that she had just begin to ask me questions and i realized i had a story i realized i had abuse and neglect and things that i'd never told anyone and sometimes it does take someone else yeah. drawing that out of you as well
1: absolutely I've been having this realization recently where uh we we have these narratives in our head that that are all built off of our life experiences and the things that we've encountered whether they're true or not are how we see the world. And you know, in some of these coachings that I've done with folks, I realized the narrative that we have in our head about ourselves does not always match the narrative that the people around us have, you know, because they're they're in this place where if we don't talk about our feelings or we don't talk about our experiences, um they don't know our whole story and they don't have the context. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you find yourself in, in healthy community, you can, you can actually share with people these narratives that you have in your head. And when you're in these, these close, trusting Christian or you know, trusting friendships and relationships and you're open to people's feedback, they can actually mm-hmm. say, you know what, I don't think that narrative's true.
2: Mm -hmm. Like you believe
1: this thing about yourself that that's not right. It's not true. It's not who you are. And that's actually, that's been my experience all across the board. Even, even you Willow have, have called me out on things just in working together. And, and it's been, it's been life-changing for me, um, You know, I remember one phone call where you had actually asked if I would be willing to to work with you on the podcast, and I said, "Well, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really been a podcast editor before," and and I, I hemmed and hawed and gave you a, a bunch of excuses, and and you know, you just called me out and you said, "Gab, I think that's self doubt," and I went, "Oh, you're right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that is self doubt. <laughs> you know, it, you're at a place where you can allow people you trust to speak into your narrative." Mm -hmm. you know, and and go, oh, oh, that's not true. Oh, I can be better than this, right? I I don't have to be stuck Mm -hmm. with what I thought was true about myself. I can actually listen to God speaking through other people and in these safe spaces know that he's got my back. And so like finding yourself in healthy community is life-changing because you're not just this echo chamber of false narratives that roll around in your head
2: your mental spiritual and emotional health is worth time energy and investment as women we can sometimes struggle to find the space and time necessary to focus on rejuvenating our minds and our spirits but the truth is our health is worth it the collide counseling bundle is an online course featuring 12 videos of mental health professionals giving their best advice journals resources, and so much more to help walk you through the topics that are most relevant to your life. Anxiety, broken relationships, body image, and more. We are so thrilled to be making the resources for a sustainable healing journey available for the same investment as what one therapy session typically costs, $99. It's time to invest in your healing and wholeness. Learn more at WeCollide.net Counseling Bundle. It's interesting as
0: you're talking because finding yourself in healthy community is basically signing up to be heard, putting yourself out there, risking vulnerability, and all those things are very hard to do for people who've been hurt or wounded or abused. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's like, it's asking a lot for us to do that. And yet I, I remember a counselor saying, I think in our, um, Clyde counseling bundle, they taught this. And I thought that this was a fascinating concept, which is we've been wounded in community and we need to find healing in community. Yes, And there's this sense that as hard as it is, and as much as people have hurt us, It will be when we take little steps back into relationship and back into trusted, safe spaces that we will begin to heal Mm -hmm. from those wounds. Yeah. It's a very hard thing to
1: do. Absolutely.
0: Gabe, what's interesting to me is you are talking about the importance of letting community speak into our lives and flipping the script and, you know, Feel your feelings, but use your words. I mean, use that. Like if we just picked this clip out of the podcast, someone would think, wow, you're so wise. What, what a, um, what a man with a high EQ and a sense of self awareness and all of those things. And yet you have arrived at this place, but if we rewind back to your story of abuse and however long you lived in the shame and the silence and the secrecy of that, you now have come out and now you're like a proponent meeting and mentoring people and doing ministry and empathizing with people and inviting people to share their stories. That's a uh, radical conversion that we're talking about to go from a man who held things in to a man who is now encouraging other people to open up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I can only say it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that I could have done to flip that script. And left to myself, and left to the echo chamber that was the stories that I would replay. You know, whether that's late nights replaying my own trauma. You know, laying awake at night, or or whatever the case is, not being in a place where where I could share that, uh, or, or being in a place where I always felt. Alone, there was no way out. But when, when the reality of um, the hope that I have in Jesus set in, um, I realized I wasn't alone. I was never alone, but I didn't understand that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was there the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. So you had this experience with Jesus when you were younger, and now here you are, you've been in ministry for years. I mean, you've traveled and done ministry in Germany, Ethiopia, Egypt. You've worked for a variety of different places. And when I met you, you were working on staff at a mega church. How were you called into the vocational work of ministry?
1: So I found myself in the church my whole life. My parents are are Christian and um I was always surrounded by by ministry happening um and I think that I I realized the value and the importance of that early on but it the gravity of it didn't set in until I was older and and once I was I was about 19 when this big paradigm shift for me happened um yeah. and and I said some fateful words I said here I am send me And then it went. And I was scared. And it was okay.
0: Hmm. Those are powerful words. It's interesting that you say that, Gabe, because before we came on today, before we I pressed record, yeah. we had a time of prayer and I actually prayed those words over you. And I didn't know that you said that when you were nineteen. Yeah. So you said to God when you're 19 years old, here I am, send me, and you find yourself still uttering those words every day? Every day. You have served in so many different capacities, and you just recently left a position uh, in the last, what is it, year or two? Yeah. Yeah and i'm curious if you can kind of invite us into what it was like for you to sort of step out of something without knowing what the next thing was for you and still trust that somehow god was going to show you
1: so i i i have i have this innate ability um to trust in something that i know god has told me and just go with it
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: and, you know, all the consequences come what may, uh, I know that he's got me and I know that, you know, all of the ends will meet and all the pieces will come together. There's been, there's been countless stories across my life so far where, um, you know, I, God called me to ministry or God called me to missions or God called me to an internship or whatever the, whatever the case is, you know, and, and say, I needed. $4,192.15 tomorrow, and I didn't have it. And then Mm -hmm. we prayed. And then I did to the penny. You know, and I I can't explain it. I just, I know that even if we have to wait to the very last second, I know that if I trust in God, in the midst of that, he will come through. Mm
0: -hmm. And he
1: always has, and he always will.
0: I think what's interesting to me is, and I'm kind of curious if you can invite us into your experience and correct me if I'm wrong in understanding it, but you left a job recently, a full-time position, and there was another job on the line, but they weren't ready for you.
2: Uh
0: And so in some sense, I'm curious if you found yourself sort of going oh goodness, what did I do? I just left this job and this job isn't ready. And am I going to become a stay-at-home dad? Am I going to have to reinvent myself? I mean, did you have worry or fret or fear in the midst of kind of leaving one thing and not having another thing to immediately go to? Because I feel like at least I'm thinking of my husband and other people I know, and not trying to be sexist. I think females would feel this way too. But Uh, You know, for a lot of men, they feel the pressure of I need to be the provider, Uh all of these sort of gender roles and and feelings about that. So to step away from a job and not have another one ready and all of a sudden you're at home every day Mm -hmm. cooking dinner and taking care of the kids while your wife works. I mean, what was going on for you emotionally and mentally in that time to stay full of faith, believing god
1: was going to give you sort of a
0: lily pad to land on uh
1: well I, I think the the big thing in in the midst of all of that process is is i didn't know when my my end in that in that professional vocational ministry was going to be but i knew i wasn't going to do that one thing forever and so in my mind i knew it I knew there was always an end in sight even if i couldn't see it um because life happens in seasons and i just didn't know when the season was going to come to a close and uh a big piece of that was financial you know i i didn't know how all the ends were going to come together i was the primary income earner in our home and um Mm. uh god just made a way um you know my my wife had gotten um a raise and her role had changed and um the doors opened and I got a phone call from a friend who said, Hey, there's this opportunity. Um and we want to bring you on. You know, it'll be part-time to start and and you can transition into it. And um I said, cool. So I, I went to the the church and said, Hey, I would like to talk about making a transition. And um, you know, they they met and and they felt that it would be better if I just stopped and uh then i i just had time uh but but what i realized after the fact is um you know i worked a lot and i and i i gave and i gave and i gave and what i what i was struggling with was how much time i was putting into ministry and in in the midst of that how much time i wasn't spending with my family and Mm -hmm. and as i sought god about what that meant or if there was going to be an end in sight or you know how that was going to play out because I was I was missing my family um oh. and and missing moments where my kids were growing up and I'm not there and and it it broke my heart and uh you know and I'm seeking God and going, God, what when when does this end? When when do I get to do this next thing? Um and whenever I was in these times, the only thing I heard was God say, what I have for you is rest. But I I couldn't put the pieces together. I didn't understand. But I knew that there was going to be rest. And then it it happened. It just happened. That's the way God works. Um, And I found myself on the other side of it. And I had almost an entire year of time where I got to be introspective. I got to, uh, you know, steer back towards things that i i loved but didn't have time for anymore um and and kind of rediscover some of the giftings outside of the roles that i was in before uh that that god has put in me and and re-explore those things and and it it turned into just this beautiful experience where i remembered how much i loved storytelling and i remembered how much i loved um hearing other people's stories and then Getting to help tell them, which is actually why uh, I think I found my way into vocational AV to begin with.
0: Hmm. You know, I think a lot of people who would find themselves in the exact same position you were in would not have the same perspective as you. It's a perspective shift that that can change a circumstance. If if. You know, someone leaves a job planning on another job and the other job doesn't work out. It's very hard to look at that as, oh, that's the rest God's been talking about that I need. Instead, they're worried and fretting and stressed and hustling to try to make something happen. I mean, that's the natural response that most people would have. But you have this this way of looking for what does God have for you to receive, even if the circumstances aren't playing out the way that you wanted them to. And I think that's a good challenge for those of us who are hearing your story to just go, how can I shift my perspective? Maybe these circumstances didn't go the way that I planned them to go, but surely God must have something
1: for me here and then look for it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, God, God is always speaking. And I think that if we, if we open ourselves up to it, um, and, and just keep loving people well and serving that he puts people on our path that, that can help speak into our lives. Um, you know, I, it was actually foretold someone had a vision, uh, that I wouldn't be at this church forever and that, um, I would move on into, uh, you know, a professional business, entrepreneurial role. Um, And, and, you know, it took five years to get there. And uh, we don't always understand the timing that God has for us. But if we can trust that he still has our back, then, then we can be okay.
0: You know, I want to lean into that story for a minute because I think it's important for people to understand that if you rewind back five years ago, and I think you told me it was like at a barbecue or something, you're handing a friend, this woman, a burger or something, and she spoke these words over you. And here, fast forward five years later, even when it seemed like for a moment there you left a job for no reason in the circumstance weren't working out now the vision that was spoken over you five years ago is becoming an actual reality can you Uh kind of tell us what happened at this barbecue when you handed this lady dinner
1: Um, so so it actually it actually links a little bit farther than that but i'll try to keep it succinct um i i was a i was a missionary and i was doing uh photojournalism in egypt uh as it was at the time and and there was this big conference and there was this worship leader at this conference in cairo who who um you know it happened all the time you work with somebody and and the the funny in my mind thing that you say when you're in these like vocational international ministry things as you work with people that you'll probably never see again. And so uh I always thought it was funny to to, you know, tell them goodbye by saying, see ya, have a nice life, you know, because <laughs> I'll probably never see you again. And so uh mm. I was standing on the stage as tech director at this at this mega church, you know, like uh gosh, eight years later or something. And in walked this worship leader that I saw one time in Cairo. And wow. and immediately they remembered me and knew me by name you know and i said how how did you why are you here and you know like uh god just kept putting the pieces together and and this person continued to be a reoccurring person in my life from time to time for five years um in in ministry and then uh you know i this last time that they were they were out visiting because they they were a traveling missionary group and and uh, I I asked them um, if they had a space if they had a time to to rest before they hop in their vehicle and drive back to another state and they said no and so I just invited them into my home so that they could have this safe space because I remember. Um, again, this goes back to, this goes back to the empathy piece, but, but I remember being in ministry and, and just coveting those seasons, even if it was an hour of downtime post these ministry outpouring things
2: where you Mm -hmm. just got to
1: be and, and know that you were okay and know that you were safe. And so I, I invited him home. My daughter was, uh, a week old and, um, and so I made burgers. I mean, I just ran to the store and got a bunch of frozen patties, and it was the least I could do in my mind um, to to show them the love of Christ, to show them this space of rest. Because mm-hmm. it there's probably more to unpack here in this statement, but but ever since I had this big paradigm shift, I realized that everything I have, everything that I am, everything in my life is not mine. It's God's, mm-hmm. and so. And so how could I not invite people in? Um, So, uh, so there I am, you know, I'm cooking up burgers and, and I'm handing this burger to this individual and, and they said, you know, I had a vision sitting on your couch and I said, oh, okay, here's your burger. Uh, (laughs) And, and she said, God, show me that you're not going to you're not going to work at this church forever and you're going to go into business and you're going to be successful. Uh, and I was like, Oh, okay. Would you like some ketchup? Um, you know, cause <laughs> what do you do in that moment? And, and, uh, she said, God showed me the your logo and, and I could draw it for you. And I was okay. Uh, where do you want it? And I, I was like, uh, you know, on, on the fridge, she just grabbed a dry erase and drew it on the, the grocery list whiteboard and and there it sat. Oh for five years got covered up by papers and and i kind of forgot about it but but i knew i the rolling around in the back of my head was was this idea uh that there would be an end to that season there'd be an end to the exhaustion and and feeling like i was at the edge of burnout or burnout and and not knowing if i could keep going in in that context i always knew at some level that that God still had something beyond that for me because he had my back. He told me on the front side that there was rest on the back side, right? But I just didn't know when. And so I I just I I have this ability, I guess, to cling on to these truths that God has given me um and just know that when the time is right, he'll work it all out in the end.
0: Hmm. You know, I think a lot of people might have had that experience. If a woman came over to my house and I handed her a burger, uh, and ketchup, hold the pickles. Sure. And she drew the logo of you know God's vision for my future life. I would probably go into strive mode to see if I could unlock that vision to be my reality in that moment. It's very interesting to me that you didn't feel a pressure to hustle and all of a sudden make God's vision unfold. You sort of set it down, and but you didn't do the opposite, which is, oh, that's hogwash. What a bunch of garbage. What is this lady even talking about? You sort of just leaned into trusting that the Lord would unfold the vision as he saw fit. And now it's actually a reality. You Uh started Mustard Mountain Productions and you're using that logo and you're leaning into this new work. What does that feel like for you? To see a vision that was spoken over you five years ago become a reality?
1: Uh, I, I would say uh, it just, it cements and solidifies this, this concept that uh, God has my back and, and he has plans for us. He has plans to use the gifts that he's put in us if we're willing to um, accept it and foster them and and give them back to him um because the whole while none of it is about me all of it is about trying to honor him and bring him glory and and let him be known uh in the midst of all of that um and and I think that's that's the work for all of us is uh to know that um he has placed these gifts in us he has given us these these abilities um, and these talents, for ev- everybody has something, um, because everybody is valuable and everybody is is beautiful and wonderfully made. And um, I love getting to see other people tell me their stories, so I can take um, what I have that God's given me and help tell those stories because He's—I know that He's working through it. And I know mm. that he's working in people's lives, which is, um, which is why I said yes to you, Willow, for the podcast, which is why uh, I'm even here doing this today. Because <laughs> uh, I know that, that God is bigger than, than any obstacle. God is bigger than anything that is in front of us. And, and if we trust him, that he can move mountains.
0: If you have faith, as small like as a mustard, a mustard
1: seed. seed. Yeah. yeah. I, I was trying not to be too on the head with that Mustard Mountain Productions name, but.
0: Well, there you go. There I did go. it for Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's amazing to me, your story. I love how open you are about it. I love that Jesus stole the power of shame away yeah, from your yeah. life. I love that he's using your story to help other people in theirs. I love that you said, here I am, send me. I love that you're still being real, like a real human, you know, who sometimes struggles with self-doubt and you're still trying to hold on to big faith in a big God in the midst of that and remind yourself what is true and yeah. remind others what is true. I just... I I could talk to you forever, Gabe, but I'm so grateful that you hopped on today to have this conversation with
1: me. Thanks for having me, Willow.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. I know that there's going to be people who want to check out, uh, mustard mountain productions and connect with you. So how can they do that?
1: So I haven't, I haven't launched a website for it yet. I think the best way to reach me is, uh, either by my email, Gabe, at GabrielChartier.com, or you can find info there at GabrielChartier.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Gabe.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks, Willow.
0: Friend, I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I just had with Gabe. It was so cool to hear his story. I love that when God collides with our lives and He enters into our brokenness and our pain, He brings about healing, but He doesn't stop there. He actually takes our story and He uses it to help other people in theirs. I know that that's been my story. That's the story of how Collide got started. It really got started because Jesus collided with my pain and my brokenness and began to heal it and use me to invite other people in their pain and their brokenness to come alongside me to run into Jesus. So it's so very cool to hear this man talk about this pain and the shame and the abuse that he experienced, but then to see how God has shown his radical love and that love has transformed Gabe, and now God's using Gabe in this world to remind other people that they matter and that they're loved. What a gorgeous story. So beautiful, so encouraging. I hope that wherever you're at in your story, that you will know without a shadow of a doubt That Jesus wants to run right into those places that hurt. Those places that feel like they're deeply ashamed. And He wants to do what only He can. He wants to free you from that. And He wants to heal you. And then He wants to use your story to help other people that you have empathy and compassion for. And so be encouraged today, friend, that Jesus is alive and well and colliding and doing things in us and then through us. Have a great week and we'll catch you next week.